Welcome to Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups. You're listening to Theo Smith on the show for the people building HR and talent functions at Scale-Ups whilst moving at the speed of light. Hello, this is Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups, the show where we share hacks from industry leaders that are building HR and talent functions at Europe's top scale-ups whilst in mid-flight. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by Ben Omani. Ben is Engineering Manager at Curve, but really, the interesting thing about Ben is he's poacher-turned-gamekeeper. But there's far more than just that to today's conversation where Ben gives us some real insights into how we can work with our hiring managers, but also how we can just work better uh, within the talent function. You're going to really enjoy this session today. Uh, And Ben is also uh, a community admin at the DBR community, uh, which we absolutely love. So enjoy the show. Ah. Ben Omani! Welcome to the podcast. Really love to have you on, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Let them know who you are, what you do, what you're about. Amazing. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad you gave me the warning beforehand. Yeah, n- nice to meet everyone. Uh, my name's uh, Ben Omani. I am a, a software engineering manager at Curve, um, the over-the-top operating system uh, for your money. Um, my background uh, is um, pretty checkered, started off studying maths, um, built and ran a few headhunting agencies, and then moved into the world of startups and, uh, yeah, massively caught the bug. Um, so, you know, worked with a couple of um, smaller startups and, um, yeah, found my way into engineering and uh, now Curve. So, yeah, looking after um, quite a few engineering teams at the moment, mostly focused around uh, data. Uh, data engineering, data platform, uh, analytics engineering, uh, and then also several around our new product, uh, which is credit. Uh, so uh, very much going up against the planners and uh, uh, yeah, uh, other companies like this um, uh, of this world. So yeah, uh, really excited to be here. Brilliant. So uh, I, I find this fascinating, right? Because you see this quite a bit now where you've got a recruiter, um, somebody who's worked in headhunting. So, uh, I mean, you've, you mentioned maybe a mathematical mind. So, you know, headhunting, I get that, you know, the research element being quite focused on, um, the, the detail, the data, uh, and then you kind of find yourself completely transporting into a new role, but maybe one quite relevant to the types you may have been headhunting. Like, how did that come about? Were you always meant to do the job you do today? Or do you think actually that journey has been an important journey to help you uh, now be successful in your current role? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, I I do definitely think it's the journey. I don't think it's necessarily, um, it's a long way from the standard journey, I'd say. Um, But, um, you know, in my mind, a lot of these areas like really touch each other. If you're talking about like the Venn diagram of like what's important for you know, uh, leadership within a startup, leadership within engineering, uh, leadership within HR or, or or talent acquisition. Like, yeah, people, people, these these tend to overlap pretty significantly. And especially in the startup space, like most of the problems that you're trying to solve 
are around um, hypergrowth. They're around uh, getting the right people in as quickly as they can, getting them onboarded, set up for success, um, and then like keeping on giving them direction and support. And actually, you know, in, in my mind, good people operations, th those are also the goals, right? Um, you know, so the fact that I've sort of gone from, um, uh, yeah, sort of poacher to gamekeeper or, or whichever way around it is, um, you know, like I see, it, I see it as the same sort of skill sets. So, um, yeah, I think that it's too often that we try and put boxes around these things, whereas actually, like the skills required are, are sort of so, so quite often self-similar. Um, having said that, I have also spent a lot of time upskilling on the on the engineering and the data engineering and the data science side. So you know, it didn't happen overnight for certain. I've been coding Python for four or five years now. So <laughs> like, brilliant. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, I can do that job he's doing over there. I'll just shift him aside and take that role. Well, it's funny though, because um, the barriers to entry for these things are being consistently lowered. So yeah, absolutely. Like it's now easier than ever to get into some of these really interesting fields. Um, there's coding boot camps. There's all sorts of things where you, the, the access to these things. I mean, honestly, I just learned off YouTube videos at the beginning, you know, and the more that you do those, the more that you understand the, the mistakes, you know, and as long as you're like making different mistakes each time, that's pretty much the definition of learning, right? <laughs> and I mean, I, I mean, we have um, two developers, I guess, uh, that are from uh, maybe uh, different backgrounds, one who's a solicitor and one who's a recruiter. Um, so that, you know, so this is not an unusual thing, right? You've not done something that is now um, kind of a crazy idea. Actually, it is becoming more and more popular and more and more people are going, hang on a minute. You know, and I guess the scale up startup thing, startup scaler, and which way you're going, Ooh, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Um, so when you look at organizations of that type, and you've just mentioned it, you probably have many touch points across that organization. So you're almost ingrained within the psyche of that of that business and, and, and the way that it grows. And therefore, you're much more likely to be aware of every aspect and facet uh, of the technology within that company. Um, because you have to be, right? You have to live and breathe it. You can't just be a lone recruiter, for example, who's just going away and speaking to candidates. You really need to get underneath the skin of what's going on in business because it moves so quickly. Yeah, there's definitely a um, uh, a piece around like the right level of resolution that you should know these things at. So, um, yeah, like for, for me, I think that um, learning more about the tech stack, the product direction, like what's actually going on under the covers, like where the real problems are at. These are skills that recruiters um have have honed you know and um it's more about just adding to that like maybe like scratching off another layer of of technical detail that that makes you more effective and then you know what i found was that you know the 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 sort of deeper i dug the more sort of trapped or or excited i got and uh yeah then all of a sudden i'm uh uh i'm in i'm in this space so yeah very interesting <laughs> brilliant well, I mean, I, I love that. I love that uh, kind of transition. And I think the future of work is going to be uh, about a lot of people transitioning from different types of roles. Maybe, um, you know, not that significant, but uh, definitely as we see us come out of COVID, 
um, people are going to have to adapt really quickly, right? And we're going to have to make sure organizations are helping and supporting them, which they want to do. You don't want to lose good people, right? We want to keep them. Um, yeah. So what, what do you think then about what the future looks like? Um, because you've worked in such a variety of organizations and because you've worked across them in different ways um, and, and probably a natural uh, analytical mindset, um, I'm enforcing that on you, right? Just because you mentioned mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> whether you want it or not um but but uh what do you see now uh, as kind of the shape and structure of organizations or what would you hope to see you know there's loads of research out there that shows that um uh smaller autonomous teams are are much more effective um you know and we've also seen that actually that 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 also poses problems and especially uh, sharing of context and alignment and making sure that we're not sort of duplicating effort that's being done elsewhere are, are, are sort of um, issues that you have when you have these smaller autonomous teams. So, you know, I see um, basically the, the yeah, I think I choose evolution like in a particularly strong way here where, I, you know, I, I'd like to see a more organic representation of organizations where, um, they're in this constant evolution and that becomes the sort of status quo, right? Where um, you expand the team because the the context grows. And then, you know, we talk about at Curve, this idea of like cell division of teams where rather than just staffing up a brand new team with zero context, you add people to a team that has all the domain context and understands what they're trying to get done. And then that's a, a critical mass where it becomes painful because there's too many people trying to get too many things, you, you subdivide those teams along, um, you know, a line that makes sense where they can both operate as independently as possible. Um, and I see that being a model that can be used in, in all si kinds of other areas, not just in product engineering. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly think that I can see, um, you know, it's something that we're talking about right now within different operational teams at Curve. You know, when I'm interacting with them, that we're talking about, you know, how do we be more agile? You know, how do we um, coordinate the, our efforts? How do we make sure that we're prioritizing so that, you know, the most important things get done first? Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly think that I, I'm very much of that. Um, yeah, very much sort of bottom up organic approach. Um, you know, there's been some really interesting um studies on on companies that have done this and they've taken it to an extreme um you know and uh yeah it's very rare though that the extremes often inform the the result but they don't tend to define it um so you know an example would be the current dichotomy that loads of companies are are, are um are facing which is about you know 100% on site versus 100% fully remote. And, you know, that's the only way it's, or, you know, globally distributed remote where we don't even have the same time zones. And, you know, to me, these things are like false dichotomies. It's just sort of lazy thinking to say that it's one or the other. And actually the, the sort of, within that population, there'll be a lot of um, different local maximums for different teams. And it's actually about navigating that space more effectively. So, you know, you'd look at that in, sort of um, vector optimization in machine learning where you're always looking for the steepest steepest slope and you find the peaks. So what's the best configuration for this team? What's the best configuration for this team? And that landscape will change as the business changes. So it's about being aware of that and then feeding that back to the team, giving context, looping people in when you need to, 
but being sure that you're um, allowing them mostly to operate as autonomously as possible because that's when they can go really fast. So yeah, um, that's quite that's quite meta maybe. Um, so yeah, <laughs> maybe let's stay away from that. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. Uh, it, it is, right. But I, So I'm going to bring it back down a few levels for me, for my uh, <laughs> basic understanding. So I love that. Um, but if we bring it to a, a recruitment uh, perspective, you know, a recruiter, now you're in a perfect position as as those teams, uh, and I love this kind of autonomous element to it, and, and we'll, we'll maybe talk about how that can work by the um, built environment, whatever that may look like. So, so we'll get on to that in a second. But if a recruiter now over the next 12 to 24 months is going on a journey of partnering with their hiding managers. Hey, hiding manager, how are you doing now? Um, you know, you, you've been there. You've been the other side. How do you think, um, based on the structure of what you've been talking about and, and that kind of the way the teams can have autonomy and evolve maybe quite rapidly, how, how like as recruiters try to feed people into those teams, how are they going to work with you? Um, what would yeah. your advice be to them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in a lot of ways, actually, um, recruiters have a lot of advantages over um, engineers and um, uh, product managers and, you know, uh, UX, UI, uh, UIers, designers, um, SDETs, etc. in that they tend to have a very good understanding of like what everyone else's role is. Like what you'll find is that the second, the, the person who understands second best what everyone does is often the person who hired them, the recruiter. So there's actually like a really, there's a, that's the sort of superpower that most recruiters don't tend to unlock or use. So the first thing I'd say is get really close to the team, the actual like roadmap, like really understand what they're trying to do, not just like what the individual tasks are of the day-to-day. So maybe stand-ups are the wrong level of resolution, but seeing if you could ask just to be a fly on the wall in higher level planning sessions, maybe even uh, sprint reviews and, and this sort of thing. So you can really understand like viscerally the pain that the that you're, you're, you know, that that team's going through so that you can then understand that. And then if you do that for several teams, I guarantee you that you will probably know better than almost anyone else at the organization, like where each team is at and you're, you know, with the with the experience that you've gained from going through these recruitment journeys, understand the type of profiles that will help with that, the archetypes, you know, abstract that, you know, oh, I need someone who just solves this one problem to being like, yeah, that's the one pain point you're feeling right now. But actually, like, if you look back over time, you want someone who solves that, but you really want, you know, someone who can solve these types of problems because these are the things that consistently come up. And, you know, this person will then start to bring that order out of chaos that, you know, inevitably occurs in uh, in high growth startups trying to do big, um, ambitious things. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. I like that. And, and I think you're right. And um, and sometimes it's difficult to get in them because maybe at first um, they may be standoffish, right? About, oh, you know, should we be bringing into these meetings? Or, um, But actually, it's worth pushing through that pain barrier, right, to get in there. Because once you're in there, they'll start to see and feel the benefits of that. And I think your opportunity in smaller organizations is much greater, right? Because you're already probably interacting in some way, shape or form. Yeah, for certain. I think, you know, in terms of that, the um, the, the barrier to entry is even lowered when you're in a remote context because you can literally just say, hey, look, like just add me to the meeting. 
I won't speak. I'll be on mute the entire time. And then, by the way, you don't need to spend like, I don't need to find a time in your diary for us to do a one hour prep necessarily because I'm getting the context, right? You know, and they'll see the value. You'll give them some time back. And, you know, there's lots of ways in which you can do it. And, you know, what you'll find is that you maybe don't need to go to every single one, but like a couple of these every so often for different teams. And you start to really build up a picture of the organization that, um, you know, might surprise you how how much you understand how quickly, you, you know, you pick that up. Because that's, you know, like, I, I don't know, anyone who's got a history in the agency side, right? What you're used to doing is uh, like someone might even give you like a one-liner and a salary. And they're like, get cracking. You know, you need to know all of that, right? So you've you've done that research, you know, and and um, you, you've you've tried to understand the business and the problem they're trying to solve, and you know, you've thought about it from that point of view. So when you're actually in there, in the thick of it, the you know, you'll pick up everything, and you'll maybe even be able to sort of f- what I found myself doing was saying, hey, like, oh, have you spoken to X? They're kind of doing the same thing. Maybe you should link up. Um, you know, and and you start having these insights into the organization that that um, are, are valuable, and you know, um, yeah, that, like I found that that just steamrolled really. That's brilliant, and it could be missed at the moment because as they get busier, it's easier to stand out of some of these conversations because oh, I've got so much to do, I've got so much admin, I've, when actually, you know, the value of them is probably so great that maybe you could just, like you said. The, and we'll, we'll get on to this. Nice segue, this, to, <laughs> to the remote element, because you don't have to, you know, if you sit in a meeting and you're on your laptop and you never go to that meeting and you're a recruiter, you look rude, right, if you're typing away. Whereas you can do that. You can listen to the meeting, do carry on with your admin, and you, you're not sacrificing a bit of work for another. You're carrying on with something you can do almost with your eyes closed, um, and but you're then being able to listen to some of maybe the bits and pieces that give you some context, which can be really powerful when you're speaking to candidates. And this is the recruiter thing, which you just mentioned. When you're a recruiter, you speak to hundreds of candidates from different role types. Each one of them gives you a new bit of insight that I used to use on the next. So I'd be like, hey, do you know this? And then they cheered a bit. And then the next one, you sound credible. You sound like you know your stuff. But you're just talking to a lot of people and you're listening and engaging. But here's the thing as well that is um, a real X factor is that you are picking up external best practice from hundreds, if not thousands of different sources that you can feed back into those teams trying to solve these problems, you know? And actually that's like huge. That's when you can really start being like truly strategic when you say like, hey, that's interesting. Like what's the, like how do you structure your X, Y, Z department? You know, how do you do that? Like, who does what? Who, what's the split of responsibilities? You go and talk to that hiring manager. You say, hey, look, you know, I spoke to X at such and such. And I, here's their org. Like, this is how they structure it. Here's their distribution of people. Maybe even go and search and find those people on LinkedIn and say, these are the kind of profiles that those people have. Like, that's when you move from just like order filler to like true strategic partner. And that's, that's um, like, I honestly, I do think that's within reach of like, anyone who's a half decent recruiter, you know, because all you're, all you're doing is taking that extra step to really synthesize some of that research and then present it back to the business. Um, and actually what I find is that like more often than not, the, the, the key step there is like just deciding to do it. You know, no one is going to come to you and ask for it. 
You know, they're like, uh, I, I, rightly so, a subject matter expert in their domain is going to say, I know what I'm doing, right? And they do, but they know what they're doing. They don't know what their five other competitors are doing. And you can bring that value to them. And I promise you, if you do that, the relationship that you'll build, the, um, the mode of interaction, the way in which you can sort of actually help mold that team will both be much more positive, but will also be much more fulfilling because you truly understand what you're doing and how you're doing it. And you'll be much more valued by the business for that. So yeah, that that's like, take that initiative and synthesize some of this research that you're doing in these phone calls. Um, so yeah, like there's there's tons of other ways that you can do that as well. Brilliant. Uh, so the so come back to the remote bit there because this is oh. how you've described a low barrier to entry for this, which I love, and I hadn't even thought about that, but it is. I used to have to get into meetings and sit in a room, right? But yeah, that yeah. It, it does it does change things. What else do you think the the remote world looks like? I, what what is what are the other benefits? What other things can we consider? Should we be going back to the office? Shouldn't we? And I don't want to overlay overdo this because it's talked about a lot. But I think it's you've just told me something I'd not considered. So let, let's let's just touch on that point for a moment. Let me let me take it to another level. Like you can treat it like a podcast, right? Like what we're doing now. Like why would you even need to be in the room? You can record the meeting and watch it, listen to it while you're doing your admin at two x speed. Pause it, rewind it if you missed something, go through it. Like that's a better experience than being in person. You know, you can actually sit sit through an hour meeting in half an hour. And re-go over any point that you needed um, clarification on multiple times if necessary, while also Googling things. So you you got that, I think, is a much more, um, especially from an information gathering point of view, is, you know, super interesting. Um, uh, and you can do all sorts of interesting things once you've got these videos, right, in terms of, like, extracting information from them. So that's one one thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, like in terms of like the, the going back to the office piece more, more widely, I, I've spoken about this quite a lot. And my view is that you've really got to treat the, the office like a product, right? You know, if you are mandating that people would go back to an office, then you're fundamentally, you can already show that it's not worth it. Like it's, if you, if it, if it was worth it, you wouldn't need to mandate it. Employees would be doing it right? They would do it. They would be like, yeah, we want to come back more. So what I think organizations really need to think through is what value does an office add? You know, what problems are you solving? You know, that product thinking separate the problem and solution space. You know, a office is a solution. It's not a problem. Like what problem are you solving? We well, are solving communication issues, which are very different remotely versus in person. You can't tap someone on the shoulder, you know. Um, you're, you're solving feelings of belonging, right? Where you go to a place and you you see the same people and you've, you don't get that interaction necessarily when you're remote. You, you know, you're solving these collaboration where in-person discussion and, you know, some people get a lot of energy from that. And a lot of, lots of people do, lots of people don't. But these are the sort of problems you're solving. And then you're like, right, well, when you look at those problems and you look at trying to solve them, the office is a really brute force expensive solution for this. You know, like I've I work in London, city center offices are expensive. I mean, they weren't 
a year ago when you weren't allowed in them, um, you could pick up an office pretty cheap, but they're already ramping up again, I think. So it's like, it's not, and it doesn't solve your, it doesn't solve all these problems, right? It doesn't solve communication or belonging just for that. Like I've always said, like, you know, these, like a hoodie might give you a much greater sense of belonging than, than an office. And, you know, how many hoodies can you buy for office space for one person per month? You know, think about it like that. Like, what are you, are you trying to solve the belonging issue? Well, like, like, what's that? And, and I always think, what's the, what's the, you know, hedonic opportunity cost that you, that you get from uh, releasing your five-year lease to a, to a physical fixed location, um, which by the way, like is a nightmare when you're scaling and trying to kit out new places. So you end up in expensive serviced offices anyway. Um, you know, if you want that collaboration, like are you gonna get more from having the team come into the office day in, day out, or have them spend a week in Greece, say once we're allowed to and it's safe, um, on an in-depth, in like intense strategy session that you maybe only need to do once a quarter. You know? Yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm like, how much more inspired are your staff going to be when they can work from anywhere, right? Rather than you know, right? Like you know, on a Thursday you've been in the office for four days and you go down the pub. That's not like, that's not team bonding. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, so, so I, I think there's lots there. Um, I could carry on forever, but uh, <laughs> a friend of mine who runs a, a, a headhunting company, it's active search company. He took his team out, I don't know, about ten of them to Greece, uh, and they spent um, I don't know about a month. Just lived there for a month. The team were able to. Obviously, it's not right for everybody. I couldn't have got kids. I got family. I couldn't just go for a month. But for that team, it was right, and they went and lived and worked uh, in Greece. Um, now, I mean, that is incredible that you, and obviously you're asking your team, right, what works for you? Would go into Greece for a month, living in a place with a pool, working there together, would that work for you? Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll go and do that. And we'll get a lot of rest time or uh, recuperation, but we'll also come up with some incredible ideas that we can take forward. I love it. And that thing around the meetings, uh, just before, I don't want to miss that because something that came out of that just, just got me thinking is also... You could, this transcription services like Otter, yeah. you could transcribe the meeting. Yeah. So if you were going back on a train into an office or traveling down to London, like me, I might have a couple of hours where I'll be on a train. I don't even have to watch it. I could just sit back and read the meeting notes if, if that's the way my mind works, right? 100%. And there's APIs now that can summarize these things, right? So there's I can see a future very quickly where actually it makes so much more sense for these things to be recorded where an organization will be able to um, save a video recording, like automatically transcribe it and provide executive summary notes of that meeting that will automatically be posted out to anyone who wants them. Yeah. Me, I want them. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, why, why wouldn't you want that? Right. Like, and is it going to be as good as handwritten notes? No, but it's for free. You know, and it, like someone can then review those notes, compare them and contrast with what they've experienced in the meeting. Anyone else watching the video of that meeting can then update those notes with points that they think is most relevant when they review this, review that video. So, yeah, I think that's um, I think, yeah, like there's a there's a massive opportunity there. There's some there. I mean, there's there's certainly a couple of cool products or company ideas in that, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> 
world cup come on let's work let's run with that theme as we, as we close off like we've got onto technology which like we couldn't how could we not like talk about technology being uh what, what the podcast is about so um what 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 else do you see i mean that's fascinating and i love that idea of being able to simplify some meetings so that there's certain people who don't need to be in the meeting for the whole meeting but they do want a piece of that meeting um so, so that's perfect. Well, what other technology um, that do you see that could be helpful for everybody? It doesn't have to just be the recruitment part, but we're all mm. going to benefit from. Um, well, I can certainly talk about a gap, um, which is around, um, I suppose, sort of the, the ERP space, you know, where um, I, I just feel like all of these tools are sort of... Um, so legacy huge like behemoths that they are like you know there's no middle ground between like a full-scale erp system and um so enterprise resource planning where you're looking at finance headcount everything you know like i like i would love to have my resourcing needs driven based on my roadmap and my 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 desire to do work like right when i start scoping out pieces of work like how do i know which teams are overloaded which teams need more like you know there's you know i want something that takes my information from jira and you know synth i can synthesize that with my you know maybe top level strategic view of the things that aren't captured in the day-to-day -day work and what else we need to do and how much that does and then starts to bring it back and you know i know that there's some some interesting stuff happening in jira where you can like um you know put in the capacity of the team and it like does some machine learning on the on the number of tickets that they've delivered and goes out to there like right now let's like once we've got that up and running can we close the loop with that can we then use that to predict you know what our teams need to look like in three months because let's be clear that's the timeline that hr and finance and sorry, people ops and finance and talent acquisition need in which to make their plans right you know so like, do, can, can we have that end-to-end -end view? Can we have it bottom-up, you know, from what we want to do to, like, how we actually deliver it? And then, yeah, I, I'd love to see something, like, really smart in that space. Um, but, again, that's that's really complicated. <laughs> but it, but it, we're getting to the point of where complicated is possible, right? We, and, yeah. and, you know, I'm passionate uh, about the neurodiversity and about inclusion and the technology um, for for giving people access to work it's like it's gone beyond what i could ever consider you know pen reader pen readers and stuff you know it's expensive technology but stuff that is going to come down in price so i think complicate we shouldn't be afraid of complicated right no so what i'd i'd point people to the um i'd say dora research but dora is actually like um i think it's like devops research association so it already has research in it so um, but the uh, like the Dora site, uh, which I think is now owned by Google, um, on a bunch of like um, studies that they've done uh, longitudinally against uh, high growth tech companies that show things that are important, uh, I either with causation, but more likely correlate uh, that correlate really well with high performing organizations, and they cover a wide variety of things from technical modes of practice, um, leadership, um, like feelings of belongingness, autonomy, like all of these things, it's, they're not separate issues, right? You know, um, I, I truly believe in inclusivity, 
Um, and I, I think it's uh, there's a moral thing there that's good, but it's also a, like it should be a hard financial thing as well. Better inclusivity makes better teams perform better, like stay longer. There are like real benefits on like if you're really being reductionist and looking at it just from a pure like you know, financial line reporting, sorry, accountants, um, there's huge benefits to like having solid inclusivity. And um, you end up with like, there's so much research, diverse teams, like produce better products. They think about different things. We were talking about, um, uh, is it Clio? The finance for us? They're, they're, um, and, uh, you know, their, uh, their demographic of users, um, skews towards women and they had a very uh previously long time when they were very small um they had a very um uh like male dominated tech team as most companies do because you know of the of the ratios of um uh, men to women in in technology and as soon as they started um you know getting some funding and being able to spend some time on their recruitment processes um i've been i've been told that they spend a lot of time like getting diverse talent in. And as soon as they did, they started making huge leaps in product improvement where those engineers really understood their users much better than, than, than other people. So that's just a, such a concrete example of a tech company like trying to, um, yeah, make a better product and make a more diverse and inclusive team. And, you know, there's hundreds of these. Um, you know, I remember at Saitora, you know, we had a real push towards this. Um, you know, w w without any tokenism or, um, uh, you know, any, any discrimination, which is really key that you, you, you don't, um, indulge in, um, but actually like how much better our teams worked once we had a more diverse team, that was, that was amazing to see. And you felt it, you know, and, you know, everyone was much happier, more productive, you know, these things are, are, are great, you know, not just in their own moralistic merit but actually in like a hardline financial sense as well um so yeah like there's kind of like no argument not to do them brilliant <laughs> i listen that that there you know you've made my day because that's what i'm really passionate about and you've just uh, talked about it beautifully there um and so i you know my last thing is to kind of you know final insight or thing you want to say to the world um or thing you want to advise i think what you just said there was great but <laughs> I don't get to use that one. Ah, oh, goddamn! I've got to think of another one. Right, I, cheers. I, I, I think that was probably good. I think maybe we should just use that one. But like, if there's any final thing that you would want to say to the world, now's your, now's your chance. Ah, <laughs> oh, just I've massively. I went too early. I I'm not sure I'm going to top that. Yeah, I I certainly there's, there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple. There's a couple. But yeah, like. Um, Anyone, I think anyone should look into product thinking. Um, and that's because it's not just product thinking, it's just good thinking. <laughs> and it will give you loads of mental models of different ways of thinking about different problems that um, stop you from just uh, finding the first solution, but actually help you navigate that problem solution space and find generally better solutions. Um, so, you know, even if you just go and find a product blog and like read one mental model, you know, it will improve the way that you think about something and you'll, you'll bring that back. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 there you go. That's one. 
That's a brilliant one. I love that. I love that. And that's a, that's a lovely snippet and, uh, and, and a great thing to end on, Ben. Honestly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, really pleased to have you on. You're an absolute star. <laughs> no, that was, uh, yeah, very much uh, my pleasure. Yeah, I enjoyed that. This episode was brought to you by Zinc, who offer automated reference and background checking tools directly in your ATS. If you enjoyed this episode, please do like, subscribe, leave a comment or share to support the show. Thank you.